Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined by our resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? Doing all right. I'd be. I think I'd be doing a little better if I got to get out on the the golf course a little bit more this week. But between rain, it's too health, wet. It's too wet. Pulled hamstring. It's been a while. I think I've played once in the past month. Plus, I had a we uh, I had a course. We we talked a little bit about the uh, pulled hamstring before the episode, but I didn't share this with you. What what we've got going on? So last week, the, this episode is a week late uh, for those listening, and uh, thank you to those that said, "Hey, where's the episode?" We've got. Fans. I did have some I, people. I waiting, had some people so. ask me that too. It's like. So someone actually listens to the this. reason. <laughs> the reason we're late, <laughs> yeah. Just be, besides our moms, we've got. I don't other, even think my mom uh, listens to it. The, my dad probably does. <laughs> the reason we're late. So last week was super weird for me. My son had uh, surgery one morning. Uh, had to go to the hospital. Full anesthesia. It was dentistry stuff, but had a lot done. So Thursday was kind of out. Uh, and getting prepped for that, there was a lot involved the days leading up to it. Uh, and so schedule-wise was a little rough. But then number two, this was originally going to be a, uh, we'll say debate, but looking at two sides of the, uh, looking at two sides and kind of arguing either side, whether or not we, whether or not those are actually our viewpoints or not. Uh, we were going to look at this subject from two different perspectives, kind of talk both of them out uh, and debate a little bit. Uh, the problem was I didn't really know. <laughs> I didn't really know how to debate my side of things. Spencer was ready to go. I uh, didn't know how to do my side of things and didn't really have the time to study it. And then I did have the time to study it. And now this is not a debate episode. Y- you know, when <laughs> so you we've been messaged through a lot. me. Oh, this was the thing uh, I didn't mention was to you, Spencer. Sorry for the Yesterday, suspense. and was like, uh, I don't think I can... I don't know how to argue the other side. I was thinking, you know, it's interesting when... I I guess I made my argument so well <laughs> that I ruined the episode before we even got a chance to record it. But, you know, when you're when you're good at what you do, I guess, it, uh, it, it gets in the way sometimes. Okay. Follow follow Spencer on Twitter just for uh, biting commentary like that. <laughs> I, I've got <laughs> I've got plenty of it. But and, and so uh, this is what I didn't tell you. Oh, okay, go ahead. Thursday, after Luke's thing, he's good. Like next day, we 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 had to go stay at somebody's house Thursday night. We forgot to give him his pain med like after the four hour mark, and it didn't matter. He didn't care didn't ask for any totally good. So that went great. We were at somebody else's house because we had seen some spiders in our glue traps on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we saw a lot more. Uh, 37 spiders, in fact, was the count. Uh, and they were brown rec- brown recluse, all 37 of them. So <laughs> those are the dangerous ones. Ugh. I hate spiders. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Those are, I hate all spiders, but those are the. Oh, it bit me, and oh no, where's my hand? 
sort of spiders. Like that's it's a real issue. The best we can figure is our next door neighbors. They ha- they just moved in. That house had been owned and vacant for the last five years. So plenty of time for things to take up residence and kind of do whatever they wanted. Then they just came moving on over to our house. We haven't seen any in the last three or four days, but we spent three nights, uh, one night at my brother's and two nights at my parents'. So there you go. So sorry this episode's a week well, late, I, but it's been. It's I been also want to add. It's been a week. An apology to any members of my congregation that are listening to this. I said on Sunday in class, we've been in Romans 14 and 15 talking about the conflict over meat and special days and that kinds of things. And mm-hmm. Paul's like, don't, it's not worth arguing over opinions. And I. I gave this podcast as an example of, hey, when we do this, listen to it, and you'll get an example of what healthy debate over matters of just opinion looks like. But now we're not debating um, because I won the debate but before we it even started. So it's uh, <laughs> now we can't. I, I just lost my illustration. So I apologize for that. Uh, we, that, that is a great example of not counting your chickens before they hatch. So she can be careful about that. Uh, maybe you'll, you'll figure that out as you mature a little more and uh, get to be my age, but, uh, we're actually going to talk a little bit about maturity today. Uh, but the main course, uh, here, uh, our, our big discussion is about a uh, human immortality, the tree of life, uh, whether, uh, those uh, Adam and Eve created there in the garden where they created eternal, why or why not? And, and discussing what all is taking place there from a little bit of an historical bent uh, as well as looking at the text and, and things like that. Uh, and I think we have some good application as well to make from this sort of study, even if it won't be uh, you and I arguing with one another. But we'll definitely do that in the future because... I like to argue. Hopefully, with you. I mean, if, so we'll make sure that unless that I happens. just keep winning them before we get to actually record. <laughs> I just won't look at the notes. I just won't look at the notes. That's what I'll do. Uh, if you, before we begin here, if you are interested in seeing some of our previous episodes, we just finished up a series on what are you worshiping, looking at uh, modern day idolatry sort of stuff. Uh, we encourage you to check that out. This is episode nineteen, so we've got plenty for you to go back and listen to. Uh, you can find that stuff. Uh, you can find that stuff on anywhere you get your podcasts. It's there. Uh, we're all over the place, and uh, you can also just message us privately, and we'll send you a link to where you need to go. Uh, if you have any questions, ideas for future subjects, or maybe you want to argue a little bit with us and say, "Hey, I disagree." Uh, send those to us, please. You can email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com, or you can get in touch with us uh, on Facebook as well. Uh, and we'd love, to, we'd love to hear from you, no matter what it is, positive, negative, or neutral. All right. Talking about human immortality, the tree of life today. Uh, very interesting passage in Genesis uh, when we deal with the creation and, of course, uh, the fall in Genesis 3 being that that answer that we give to, man, why is the world so messed up? Well, the fall, Genesis 3, that's where we go back to. Uh, But there are 
some assumptions and things we make about the text and maybe some some questions that we just don't ask because we've heard it so many times that we've kind of made our minds up on all of this. So uh, our discussion here that we were initially going to debate, uh, we're just going to say as a statement now and try to prove to the listener, I suppose, uh, that human beings were not created immortal. Spencer, uh, where do you want to take that? How do you want to begin yeah. with uh, that so, statement? Human beings were not created immortal. When For those of you listening, that's probably a, maybe even a shock statement, you know, to, to say... Yeah, don't turn off human your podcast beings weren't here. created immortal. Yeah, d- don't don't send me a message yet. At least listen through the the rest of this, and then you can get mad at us. But uh, it, we we tend to assume that human beings were created immortal, and we're going to talk more about some of the the problems that come up when we make these kind of assumptions about what Scripture yeah. teaches, what a text is saying, and what it means without taking the time to actually delve down and ask questions of the text, uh, to let the text give us its own answer instead of assuming we know what it says and kind of putting our own thoughts on it. And we kind of do that with human immortality. We assume that human beings were created immortal. and But the problem is, is that when you go and you actually look at the text of Genesis 1 through 3, that that's ends up being a very hard position to argue, as Jack found out, when uh, even though that's what we assume. Uh, and the first, and maybe the most obvious one, is the question of why would there be a need for a tree of life in the garden if human beings were created immortal? Why would God put that tree there if there was no need for it. Because if, if human beings were created immortal, then there's no need for a tree of life. If they weren't created immortal, then now all of a sudden you have a tree of life that is needed so that you can eat from it and become immortal. And so that's kind of the first thing to start thinking about is why would you even have a tree in the garden if human beings were created immortal? But then we can start adding stuff on top of that from what we see in the text. And one of the first things is, is in the ancient Near East, the the culture in which Israel lived, and so the culture in which the Old Testament was produced, the culture in which the Old Testament was written, and the culture in which the audience that are books of the Old Testament was written to. That's the ancient Near East, that culture that Israel lived in. In the ancient Near East, people thought that there were two primary characteristics of the gods, two things that made a god a god, and it was the god's knowledge. He had knowledge above and beyond that of human beings, as well as the god had immortality. Not that necessarily a god couldn't be killed, depending on what culture you're you're reading— but a god's not just naturally really going to die of old age like we think of human beings doing. And if they do, it, you're talking about, you know, thousands and thousands, millions of years, not, you know, 80 years, 100 years, something like that, like we expect with human beings. And that's interesting because when you consider the fact that gods were 
thought of as gods because they had the characteristic of knowledge and immortality. Would Adam and Eve sin in Genesis chapter 3? They sinned by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so now they've gained this knowledge. And in response to this, this is what it says in Genesis 3 and verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever. God decides to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden because he doesn't want them to get access to the tree of life and to have this knowledge and have the eternity, the eternality of eating of the tree. Why? Well, God says that when they gain this knowledge, they have become like one of us. They have become like the gods. They haven't become a god because at this point, all they have is this increase in knowledge. But God says they have become like us. They have become like a god. And so lest they eat from the tree of life and gain both of these characteristics— both knowledge and immortality, and truly become, in the way the people of this time viewed, to truly become a god, having both knowledge and immortality. God says we have to get Adam and Eve out of the garden, and he puts that cherubim there with the flaming sword to guard the tree of life so that Adam and Eve can't come back and become not just like a god, but to become gods by achieving both knowledge and immortality, which seems to suggest that they didn't have immortality in the first place. Now, you could argue that they had it, ate of the tree and lost it, and God didn't want them to gain it again. That's an argument that you could make. In my mind, that doesn't quite make much sense because they would have been like gods and then unlike gods and then like gods again and then not wanting to become full gods. It just seems like you have the gods, you have human beings, and as they eat of the tree, Adam and Eve take one step to becoming like God. And God says before they eat of the tree also and gain knowledge and immortality and become fully like gods, we need to separate them from the tree. Yeah, there's some interesting implication with all of this too about um, that is the that's the thread that the serpent pulls on as well, mm-hmm. and trying to get Eve to take the bite is uh, you are being prohibited because God knows when you eat of it you will become like Him in knowing good and evil. Uh, you know how does the serpent know those things? Uh, number one, but that's for another day. Uh, but number two, that that idea of you becoming like this thing that can kind of make its own way, have its own power, and all that stuff—that's what the prohibition's all about. Uh, just very interesting that that particular line is repeated there twice: once by the serpent, and then once by the Lord Himself saying, "They're like us." Or becoming like one of us in knowing these good and evil things. Yeah, too. and the, your, your point about the, the serpent is is interesting, too, because that is what the, the serpent appeals to them becoming like God, too, which seems to suggest that they weren't, that they didn't have these primary characteristics of what people of this time would have thought 
that sure, characterized yeah. the gods. And so the serpent is like, hey, you want to become like God? Gain the knowledge, piece one. And God's response is, let's make sure that they don't get piece two and the immortality along with it. And so he puts the hmm. the angel there to protect the tree of life. That seems to be that idea of becoming like God uh, is interesting there in the entire narrative of Genesis 1 through 3. And I, we'll mention this in a minute, but it's interesting how that's the way the New Testament kind of defines salvation too, is becoming like God. And so you kind of get a a, a redemption of what's going on in the first three chapters of Genesis. But I'll, I'll come back to that yeah. here in a minute. But that kind of fits in with what I think is going on here. So when you start to ask, were human beings created immortal? And you start looking at, well, if if they were, there wouldn't be need of, a need of a tree of life. When you look at this narrative of becoming like God, both with the, before the fall with the serpent and the temptation, and after the fall with God not wanting them to eat of the tree of life, both of those same things seem to imply that at least at this point, human beings weren't immortal. But then you have to begin to explain a little bit further what does that mean. I know some that suggest that what happened at the fall, because when you read through Scripture, particularly I think of places such as Romans chapter 5, death is tied to sin. We die because of sin, which gives the implication of before sin, we didn't die. And that death that's attached to sin, at least to me, seems to be both spiritual death as well as physical death kind of tied together. And one way to explain how all of this kind of works together is I know some that would suggest, well, before sin... Human beings weren't immortal. They would have died, but death wasn't a bad thing. Death didn't have a sting to it. Death wasn't negative in the same way that the world goes through seasons. Things come to life. Things Mm. die. Things come back to life again. It's just part of the cycle of the natural order that things live and things die, but there's no sting. There's nothing negative to that. And that's one way to think about it. But I would actually propose a little different way of reading what's going on there in Genesis 1 through 3, and that is that human beings were not created immortal, but they were intended to be immortal. They were intended to obtain eternal life with God. In other words, they were in, they were intended to become like God, but when they sinned by eating of the tree— They were kicked out of the garden, and they forfeited the life that God desired for them to one day have, a life of uh, an an eternal life with him. Because what you see in Genesis 1 and 2 is that human beings, when they were initially created, that they were supposed to go through a maturation process, a process of maturing. For example, human beings were never meant 
to remain in the garden. God intended for them to grow and to develop and to mature and to fill the entire earth. Genesis 1 and verse 28 says that God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So human beings were created and placed by God in the garden, but they were never meant to remain in the garden. They were meant to grow and to multiply and to mature and to eventually fill and have dominion over the entire earth. Similarly, when God first created man, when God created Adam, things were not perfect because the man was alone. If you remember, God looks down. He says it's not good that man should be alone. God brings all these animals past Adam, and it says that Adam didn't find a a perfect match for him, which that's a whole interesting thing of why God started with animals, but that's a discussion for another podcast maybe. (laughs) But he says it's not good that man should be alone, so what does God do? God creates woman. God creates Eve, this perfect companion, this perfect helper for Adam. And so what you see is that from human beings were not created in the state that God ultimately desired for them to be, that there was a growth from the point when they were created to God's intention for his creation. Humanity was meant to be fruitful Mm -hmm. and multiply and fill the earth. It was just one human being that was created, and then you get the pair Adam and Eve, which allows them to then become fruitful and to multiply and fill the entire earth. And so I would argue that's what's going on with human immortality, that human beings weren't created to be immortal, but that they were to mature and grow to the point where they would eventually eat of the tree and become immortal and enter into that eternal life with God in the same way that there was only one created, And eventually you get to the point of two, the pair, man and woman. But at first you just have one family, but the ultimate intention was for them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the entire earth. So there's a process that's going on here. And that can be hard for us to think about because when we think of the original creation, we think of it being perfect. But I have a problem with the word perfect because... In our minds, for something to be perfect is for something to be complete, that there's nowhere else to move, nothing else that's needed, whereas the way that Scripture uses the word perfect is just to say that it's without sin. So the original creation was perfect in that it was without sin, but it wasn't at the very beginning where God ultimately intended for all of it to be, as we see with the creation of woman and the leaving the garden and spreading to the entire earth. One way that this may be helpful for us to think about it is a lot of the times we say that Jesus was perfect. And technically that's correct, but that language bothers me a little bit because of the way we think about perfection. To think about Jesus being the perfect human being, that seems to me to carry the connotation of, well, Because Jesus was the perfect human being, he can and did succeed at everything. But that's not the case. If that was the case, Jesus wouldn't be human. Uh, Jesus couldn't do everything perfectly. And just like, you know, like 
I can play basketball pretty well, but I can't sing at all. That's something that I cannot perfectly do in any shape, form, or fashion. Uh, Jesus seemed to be a good carpenter, but maybe he couldn't sing. Maybe he wasn't good at math. Maybe he wasn't very good at fishing, something like that. But Jesus was perfect because he was without sin. So I tend to prefer the idea that Jesus was a sinless human being, that he was without sin. The original creation was sinless because I think perfect drags with it some connotations that we have some problems with. And so when we begin to think about the creation as perfect in terms of without sin, but not perfect in terms of it not having anywhere to grow or to go, but yet, but that God created it with a purpose to move towards something, to fill the earth, to eventually eat of the tree, to become immortal, uh, to enter into that life. And so what happens through sin is that they give up the tree. They give up the ability to become like God and achieve this immortality. And so what does Jesus do when he offers salvation, when he offers eternal life? He is giving humanity the chance to once again eat from the tree, if you will. And in Revelation, when we get the image of heaven, we see that the tree of life is actually there. And so that's what Jesus is doing, is he's giving us the opportunity once again to be freed from sin, to become like God by achieving immortality. And at that point, achieving the kind of human life that God created and designed humanity to live but which they never got to fully achieve because they disobeyed God and ate from the tree of knowledge and good and evil and were separated from the possibility of eternal life with God and achieving their vocation as image bearers of God and filling the entire earth and reigning over it. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. That's that's why it was so hard for me to argue uh, the the stuff. Um, look, looking at the text and seeing the uh, seeing this setup of it, it wasn't so much the ancient Near East stuff. I didn't know any of that, but the uh, the text itself and it's pushing towards what the ancient Near East supports, what they grew up in. Uh, what they were living in when this was being written and everything, uh, become like one of us, and then this uh, pushing of the text to say their original creation had to do with them growing and then going out, uh, that they were supposed to go out. And I, I had read that verse so many times and not really thought about it. I think practically speaking, and... Uh, when we talk about assumptions here in a moment, uh, that was me. I was making the assumptions, making quite a few assumptions. Um, I had never like played that that out. What exactly is being asked of them? Well, go and fill the whole earth, not the whole garden, not you know, never leave here, but that the whole thing was supposed to be theirs, and the whole thing belonged to God, and the whole 
the whole of creation is this good thing. Uh, and I, I didn't really think about that. So this going and maturing uh, and then going and fulfilling this purpose here. Yeah, that's significant. And one of those things that I looked and, over uh, as far as the subject And something goes. that you and I were talking about before we got started was that the, you know, we, we, I, I mentioned some of the problems with thinking about perfection in the creation and how the, the New yeah. Testament term tell us for perfection is the idea of perfection as the end goal, the end of a process, yeah, making yeah. something complete. So even built into the New Testament idea of perfection is a process. You don't start at perfection, but it's something that you grow into. It's interesting in Hebrews, it says that Jesus was made perfect through suffering. It, Think about that mm, one for, yeah, for a minute. Yeah. Jesus, God in human form, was not perfect at birth, but perfect through suffering. He was sinless, but there was something about perfecting who he was, what his intention was, what God's plan was, and that kind of perfection only came through the process of suffering and dying on a cross, of relating to humanity. That's what the Hebrew author is getting at there, is the Jesus perfect purpose was made perfect. It was made complete through what he endured as a human being so that God could relate to humanity and so God could ultimately save humanity. And so built into the idea of perfection is that there's a process that leads to it. And so you have perfection in the original creation, but it's the end of this process, being fruitful, multiply, filling the earth, becoming immortal, entering in to this eternal life in the way that God designs it, but it's a process that gets human beings there once they're created, right? God goes through, you have the six days of creation, God rests, and then this process begins as, as human beings grow and mature. And that seems to make the most sense of what's going on there in the text, that rather than being created immortal, that that was part of these other things going on in the process after humanity was created, of what was supposed to happen in achieving this idea of perfection, becoming like God, becoming eternal, which they lost because of sin, but that is restored in Jesus, the human being who was without sin and was made perfect, but made perfect through suffering. So let's talk a little bit as we uh, wind these things down, uh, just practically here. Uh, we've We've talked about maturity, and so I, I suppose we'll start there, and I've got a couple of things to throw out there with that. Uh, and then I know you want to talk about assumptions as well uh, that we make of the text, which also has to do with with our maturity. So um, I'll jump in with maturity if that's yeah. all right. Um, uh, one, of the th one of the things I thought about, especially in regard to the Genesis 128 of be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, is they weren't to remain in the one spot, that there was growth and then going out. Uh, and there was, and this will be a little loose perhaps because it just came to mind uh, while you were talking, uh, but it, it seems very similar to me uh, with uh, the Acts and the staying in Jerusalem and then mm. being eventually forced out with... 
Stephen's stoning, and they go about preaching the word in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Uh, but there was this, we are remaining in Jerusalem. We're here for Pentecost, but we're remaining because of this new religion, this, this Christianity that has developed here that we're now a part of. And they stayed, and they stayed, and they stayed, and they were growing. They were studying and learning and putting these things into practice and figuring out what, what all of this was all about. Uh, but then there was a point where it was time to go, <clears throat> time to get out. The message was not meant to be contained there. It was meant to be shared over the whole of the earth. And through that, uh, Christ would be subduing the world, taking it back to himself uh, through that message. And so there's a little bit of that in Acts, which by extension is us not keeping the message here within the walls of the building, but maturing and growing, letting Bible study and worship and those things be a, a part of our transformation process that we then go take out uh, and share with other people. Uh, we've uh, Maybe you've heard this before, but I've uh, in talking about how rough the world is, I've heard Christians say, wouldn't it be nice if we could all get together, you know, be on an island and just have just a Christian society and just be us and think there's a lot of problems with that. <laughs> but one of the big ones is uh, we're going to do that. We're going to have that where it's all of the Christ believers together in a world that's not broken. We'll have that, but that's not what it is now and what it's supposed to be now. What it's supposed to be now is the, uh, is our, maturation process going out and to borrow the Genesis language uh, subdue the earth uh, through this message through the message of the cross here uh, so there's practical application in that way that it has been God's design for uh, his image bearers to actually bear his image in the world among people that may even be hosp hostile to that image bearing that's what yeah. I got. That's what I got for maturation. Well, and and so get out, people. <laughs> and, and we we have to do this. It's literally the same thing with the way that we read the biblical texts too, which is my point of yes. assumptions of we we tend to and, and I did the same thing, assuming well, human beings had to be created immortal because you know maybe it's because of you know viewing heaven as kind of returning, renewing everything that had been lost, uh, getting us back to the life in the garden that God designed us for, uh, understanding death as a result of sin. There's some of these things that just bring about the assumption of, well, human beings must have been created immortal. But as we mentioned and hopefully maybe somewhat effectively argued, when you actually go and look at the text, that doesn't make much sense. It makes the most sense to me that immortality was part of the plan, but it was part of a plan of human beings growing and maturing and reaching that point of immortality yeah. as they filled the earth and subdued it. But we tend to do that with a lot of things in the Bible. We tend to make assumptions that we know what the Bible teaches on a topic, or we know what a text means. We know what Paul was saying in such and such a place— we make those assumptions without ever going and truly looking at the text, asking questions about the text, uh, viewing the text from different angles, reading people that have different viewpoints about it. 
and taking that all into consideration to constantly re-examine what it is that we believe and what it is that we think that we know, because we probably don't know as much as we think that we know. And so it's important Mm. for us to always be examining our beliefs, going back to the text time and time again, asking more and more questions, reading more and more broadly to challenge ourselves so that we don't get stuck in this rut of just assuming that we know everything. Because in reality, there's probably a there's a lot that we don't know and there's a lot that we're all going to be wrong about. And so we can't just sit back and make those assumptions. I've, I, I have a professor that likes to say healthy traditions are built on questions, not answers. And by tradition, a tradition is just anything where you hand down something from generation to generation. So Christianity is rightly defined as a tradition, the Christian tradition, because Christian faith is handed down from generation to generation, 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 has been for 2,000 years and will continue to be handed down. But the Christian faith, the Christian tradition, must be built not on, well, we have all of the answers, and here they are. That's how you become static. That's how you stop growing. Oh, I know everything. I don't need to know anything else. So I'm just going to sit back and coast to heaven. That's not what Christians are called to do. None of us are Jesus. None of us are perfect in any sense of the meaning of perfect, as we've talked about several different ways to think about that term. But none of us are that. We all have room to grow. We have all, all have views that need to change. We all have beliefs and assumptions that are wrong. And unless we're willing to continually ask questions continue to let ourselves be challenged, continue to go back to the biblical text time and time again in these ways and let the text challenge us, ask the text new questions, be opened to changing our viewpoint. We're going to become static. We're going to stop growing. We're going to stop learning. We're going to stop maturing like Jack talked about. We're going to stop maturing like God created human beings to do both before and after sin, to mature in our relationship with him, with one another, with the entire creation. So it's important on subjects like these and with anything, not to just assume that we know everything, but to continually study and grow. Yeah, if we could, in, if we could encourage you and leave you with something uh, today to, to do with this, uh, this study. Be transformed. Today, uh, it would be You'd be transformed. Gotta say it. <laughs> by, yeah, uh, by studying. I, I had a, uh, I had a friend in college that every, I don't know, three four years would write down the things that he quote unquote knew, baptism, the church, the parts, you know, salvation and what all that entails, Holy Spirit, just everything that he had beliefs on. And he would go back through, and as best that he could, he would try to evaluate those subjects as holistically as possible with as blank, blank a slate as possible. Uh, and sometimes he would arrive at the same conclusions, and other times some things would change a little bit or maybe even drastically. But that was part of his maturing process. That was part of how he grew and understood better. And at the very least, if the the outcome remained the same, he was able to present, defend, uh, and give it to others better because he knew it better. Uh, and so uh, I want to encourage you, as Spencer and I both talked about, 
uh, some passages that you think you know really well that you skip over. Those are probably the ones that you need to evaluate the most because we make the most assumptions about those texts because we've heard them our whole life. We've already developed our theology there in those places. I want to encourage you to pick one of those or, or more and sit down and try to study it as blank a slate as possible and consider the history, context of the rest of what's going on within the letter of the book uh, and look at it as fresh as you can so that you can grow in your understanding and then so you can go and share that with other people. Uh, and educate them, because that's that's how it was from the beginning. We were created to bear God's image, not in the garden, but over the whole of the earth, uh, wherever we find ourselves. That's all I've got. Spencer, do you have anything left to add as we close here? Sounds good to me. Go. Nailed grow. it. Grow. Grow and go. And then grow some more. And keep going and never stop. And then one day... We will actually have eternity, immortality, but that's, we can talk about that another time. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on this episode. Uh, We've got many more in the works, but if you have some ideas for us, we'd love to hear those things. Email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com or get a hold of us on Facebook, Spencer on Twitter as well. Uh, Sorry for not mentioning that earlier, Spencer. Thank you. Uh, but get a hold of us any way that you can. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback, good, bad, or neutral. I'm Jack. That's Spencer. We'll see you next time.